Good morning. Good morning. There we are. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is July, Sunday the 12th. And I just had to open up my thing because I forgot what day it was. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy you could be here. I'm glad for those of you who are joining us online that you're here as well. Are there any announcements for worship today? We have Bible study coming up on Tuesday night. We'll be continuing with our study of the book of Acts. If you have a bulletin in front of you, you have the login information for that as well. It's on the insert. We are having a church picnic planned at this time on the 30th following church. Um, the picnic will be catered. More information to come as we get closer. Are there any prayer concerns or joys that you wish to lift up with the congregation? Let us prepare ourselves to worship God as we listen to our opening music. Thank you. 
If you'll pray with me. God, we come and worship you today. We come to worship you in a time where it feels like things are spinning a bit out of control. And we don't really know what's going to happen next, what somebody is going to tell us next, what exactly we're supposed to do. We pray for your guidance in these days, for your comfort and your presence. We pray for your confidence. We lift up our brothers and our sisters who are healing and in need of being healed. We thank you as Bonnie and Eric recover. We pray for Asher. We lift up the Freant family as they mourn the loss of a father, a grandfather, a person who meant so much in their lives. As we look to the world, as we look outside our doors into this heat, we pray that we will be able to go through the things that are coming our way to make the good decisions, to help one another, to support one another. We pray all these things in the name of the Son. Amen. Morning, everybody. Morning. <clears throat> so nice to see everybody today. And um, so our special music is um, called "Why Me, Lord." It's by Chris Chris Christopherson. Easy for me to say. Um, and the thing about it is, like, you know, a lot of times we think that things that we do or do not do are, uh, you know, worthy of some reward or something, but that's not the case. Um, in the case where we have grace from Christ, uh, it's just not anything that we could ever do that um, would give us eternal life. So sometimes, though, that we think that. So this is kind of where the song is from. And also? Michael's in charge of me this weekend, so he decided that as I was sitting out there singing along with him, that I should sing with him. And after a little bit of, yeah, practice, but a little bit of bribing and whatever, I said, okay, so here I am. And I would welcome anybody who would want to take part in a you know special music um, I would welcome that so just come and see me
Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve every one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus, I know what I am. Now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hands. Try me, Lord, if you think there's a way. I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through myself on my way back to you. Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus. I know what I am, but now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hands. Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus, I know what I Now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hands. Jesus, my soul's in your That is an added joy to my day I wasn't expecting. Our reading today comes from Acts 8, 26 through 40. This follows immediately after last week's reading. I might be reading from the message today. Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He up and went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was the minister in charge of all the finances of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, do you need to understand, do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch answered, how can I without some help? He invited Philip into the chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this. As the sheep led, as a sheep led to the slaughter, and quiet as a lamb being sheared, 
He was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. Now, but now, who can count his kin? But now who can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? The eunuch said, tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself? Some other? Philip grabbed this chance using the passage as his text, and he preached of Jesus to him. They continued down the road, and they came to a stream of water. The eunuch said, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, and Philip baptized him on the spot. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip away, and that was the last the eunuch saw of him. But he didn't mind. He had what he came for and went down the road as happy as he could be. Philip showed up in Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the Gospels, teaching the message to all the villages along the route until he arrived at Caesarea. Sometimes writing a sermon comes easily, like flowing water down a stream. And other times it comes out like a great belch with a lot of work behind it. I will tell you this has been one of those weeks where I have struggled with this. And I am praying hard today that the Spirit will keep talking to me and hopefully I'll get where I'm supposed to go. But starting with this, the first thing I thought about was this eunuch and what he could and couldn't do. For instance, if you were to travel back to ancient Israel, here are the reasons that you could not enter to see the temple itself. Okay, maybe I first start with this. In order to go into the inner courtyard, you had to, first of all, be a man, and second of all, be of the tribe of Israel. You couldn't be a foreigner, a convert, like the Ethiopian. But that wasn't all you needed. You could have no blindness, no cataracts, no disorder of any kind of the eye that would cause it to look different than standard, I guess. No lameness, no crippled hands or feet. Also, your limbs have to be proportional to the rest of your body. No skin diseases. The Bible says tezareth, which usually we translate to leprosy. It's not really like Hansen's disease, what we call leprosy today. It's more of a catch-all term for skin diseases. So no rosacea, plaque psoriasis, well, psoriasis in general, dermatitis, so on and so forth. Even certain blisters, moles, or boils could keep you away from the temple. You had to be healthy in a reproductive sense. You couldn't eat impure foods, touch bodies, touch blood, wear mixed fabric, touch a woman during the wrong time of the month. 
You had to even be careful about the kind of shape your house was in. Certain structural problems with your house would make you impure. They seriously would bring a priest in to purify your house if that was the problem. On top of all of this, if you were a priest, which meant that you got to go into the temple, you had to hold all of these extra strictly, and you couldn't marry people who were divorced or converts or anything like that, and you had to constantly, ritually clean yourself. You couldn't even be in the same building as a dead body for the most part. Now, this was all the rules just to be in the inner court or for the priest to enter into the doors of the temple itself, into this area known as the holy. If you really want to know, you can, it's lots of this information in the Old Testament. God lays out very specifically what the holy, what the whole tabernacle or temple, depending on your era, was like. But you could go into the holy, and at the end of the holy was a curtain. And behind that curtain was the area known as the Holy of the Holies. It was there that the Ark of the Covenant sat, up through the end of the first temple. The Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God on earth, the thing that held the commandments, Aaron's staff, manna. It was where God would sit and converse with Moses, Nobody was allowed to enter there, except for the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Tradition tells us that they were always a little concerned that the high priest wasn't quite holy enough, so they would tie a rope around his ankle. Because when you go to meet God and you're not pure enough, you die and they couldn't go in after the body, so that way they could pull him back out. It was dangerous to get close to God in the Old Testament. People died for not taking precautions. I always think of poor Uzzah, who his only crime was to reach out and push back on the Ark of the Covenant as it started to fall out of a wagon. It was a dangerous thing. It had to be covered and protected. I'm not saying it would go all Raiders of the Lost Ark on you. You know, lightning zapping out, melting faces, and making Nazis explode. I'm not saying that would happen. I'm also saying that that wouldn't happen. It's a dangerous thing. Now, by the time we actually get to the New Testament, we don't know where the Ark is. It's disappeared. It happened when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. It may have been that the Israelites were able to manage to hide it somewhere in a cave and it's out there waiting to be discovered. Or that the Babylonians took it and who knows what happened after that. And if you do your research today, you'll find that it's claimed that it's actually in Ethiopia where it was taken for safekeeping and it's still kept in a uh, special church there. But no one really knows but by this time we hit this second temple, they still have this Holy of Holies. It's still treated as if the Ark of the Covenant is there. It's at this point that heaven and earth meet. This is where God rules over Israel from. 
so it still has to be protected. The second temple has a curtain in front of it, three and a half inches thick. I don't know about you, I have never seen a piece of cloth three and a half inches thick. That sounds amazing. Also, it sounds incredibly hard to move and incredibly hard to tear. That protects the holy of the holies. And then there's the building of the temple itself that protects the holy from the outside. And then there's walls around the courtyard, around the building, that keeps out the women and the converts and the unpure people. Walls within walls, barriers within barriers, rules within rules, as it was prescribed in the Old Testament. This is the world that this eunuch came to worship in, a world of rules designed to keep the creator separate from the created, a world in which you had to fit certain criteria to really worship God. This man is a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch. So that means, one, he's a convert, he's a foreigner, Two, he's a eunuch, which means that he technically is not allowed near the temple. But he's an important person. He's in charge of the treasury of the Kandik, or the Candace. This is the sister of the king of Ethiopia. Her exact role is a little lost to history. don't know exactly what she did. But... Ethiopia, or Kush, or Nubia, depending on which history book and what time you're looking at exactly, was a matrilineal system. So a king, um, I, I, so it passed down through the mom's line. So the mother of the king, her son would go on to rule, rule. her daughter would become the Candace, and it was her son who would become the next king. And if he wasn't quite old enough to rule yet, she would be the, uh, the regent. So it's a very powerful position. And this is a nation that managed to keep Rome out. And that's saying something. Not everyone managed to keep Rome out very well. They were powerful. They are rich. They are influential. Despite all of this, when he goes to worship God, he is still held at arm's length. He was and would always be an outsider in his own faith. It makes me think of a youth camp. I think it was my sophomore, junior year. Give me a break. It was 20 years ago. Hence the reason I don't even remember his name. I want to say Bob, but I don't really remember. See, most kids at camp kind of fit into a couple categories. You know, we find this in most places. You, you have your jocks and your preps and your geeks and your artsy kids, and you have your country kids. We are out in farm country. Uh, not that these categories are really hard lines, but you know, you find your clicks and you stick with them. This kid was different. I mean, physically, he was different. He was taller than pretty much every other camper. He was as tall as most of the counselors. Big guy with this huge mop of black curly hair that just went everywhere all the time. I remember being in the shower house with him, and he came out, and his hair was flat down, and then he dried it, and it went straight back up. 
But it wasn't just that he was physically different. He acted and looked different. It was always like he was just going to a Ramones concert. Black clothing with tears, purposeful tears and holes, with safety pins and buttons and spikes. Biggest kid camp stuck out. Often, when we were in Bible study or presentations, he would make bizarre observations that no one else I'd ever we'd ever heard make. He would make strange references to pop culture we had no idea about, and lots of weird jokes. For all intents and purposes, he was an outsider. Except he wasn't. He was respected. He was invited into groups and activities. His observations were acknowledged and even discussed by the whole group. He wasn't treated any differently than the rest. I think that's why I remember him so well. Not only was he different, but the whole situation was just weird. And if you remember what it was like to be a teenager in high school or junior high, having the outsider be an insider is a weird thing to experience. I liked him. Okay, maybe it wasn't exactly that perfect. It was 20 years ago, as I said. But there was, that, there was no barrier. It was an exception. It made me think back to that curtain. This is Matthew 27, 50 through 51, the last moments of Jesus' life on the cross. And then Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier broken. Jesus died. And all those barriers that we had built, those barriers set forth in the ancient text, were broken and removed. But the thing is, is we aren't good at keeping the barriers away. If we look at the beginning of the Gospel of the Acts, Peter and John and all the other disciples, the now apostles, the people they're bringing into the church aren't outsiders. They're other Jews. They're people like them. This is Jerusalem. This isn't some backwoods little town that only really has the locals living in it. Jerusalem was a major city on the, e on the east side of the empire. There were lots of Greeks and Romans and people from northern Africa and Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But no, they still stuck with the people they knew. And then we get to Philip. Philip is the first one to start breaking the rules. First, he goes to the Sumerians, which happened last week, of the Samaritans. Uh, so let's face it, bitter rivals of the Jewish people. That was definitely a step out of the comfort zone. And next, he goes to this eunuch, someone outside the religious establishment, someone never accepted by the religious establishment. 
And this is where things start to take an interesting turn. God doesn't send Philip to a complete stranger in some ways. God sends Philip to somebody who's ready to hear. I had to battle a lot with what this means in modern missionary work. It's important that everyone gets a chance to hear the gospel. Or the way I like to think of it, everyone gets to see the gospel in real life, people living it. But here, this, this first time that he's going to a group that is completely disconnected from the heritage of the Israelites, he's going to somebody who's already a little bit in the door. He's going to somebody who's trying to fit the pieces together himself and needs that extra push. The Ethiopian eunuch's heart was open to Jesus. He was open to understanding God's plan, but he couldn't quite get there himself. And so God sends Philip out to him. And then he sees the water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Nothing. There are no longer those rules. There are no longer those walls. You get to commune directly with God. I came finally to somebody I thought I could draw out of their story. And it's actually somebody who, I didn't double check, but I'm guessing if you were to look in the hymnal, you'd find his name somewhere, or at least his brother Charles. John Wesley. It's not someone we talk a lot about in the Brethren Church because, well, we're Brethren and not Methodist, but he's the founder of Methodism, along with his brother and some others, but he's the primary one. You see, John fell in love with God at an early age. He really loved God. He wanted to be close. He wanted to pray. He wanted to feel the spirits. But there was a problem. That wasn't the style of Christianity in vogue at that time in England. It just wasn't what people did. So he was held at arm's length. Yeah, you, you can be a minister. We're not sticking you anywhere important. Yeah, you can, you can have a club here on campus. We're not giving you any nice space to do that. He wanted something. He wanted something more. He couldn't quite grasp it. But he got a break. A friend of his said, hey, you know, I want you to come to Georgia, the colony at this time. I want you to come to Georgia. We're, we're starting this new colony. I want you to come help with it. Okay. So he goes, and he's in the ship, and a storm breaks over them. I mean, imagine being in an old sailing ship with a storm breaking around you. It's a fairly frightening thing, I would imagine. I don't have any personal you know, experience with that, but it was very frightening. And people are running around, freaking out, screaming, praying loudly, except for this little group. This little group off in the corner who are praying quietly together and singing hymns. John is struck by them. This is what he was looking for a faith 
that put its trust so completely in God that as the storm was breaking around them, they could do what not even the disciples could do and just trust in God. They were a group of Moravians, a not to go too deeply into it, a tradition that is even older than the Lutherans. We have a bit of their DNA in the Brethren Church. So he got to know them. And then they landed in Georgia, and he utterly failed at his job, uh, bringing about this new church. It happens. And he ended up literally fleeing back to England. But he had had that push. He had had a glimpse of what he was looking for. And so he continued to study and push himself. He and his brother Charles got to know a local Moravian missionary. And they would talk with him and pray with him and worship with him. And one day as he was leaving a meeting with, one, with this young man, he was contemplating a little excerpt written by Martin Luther that fit at the front of the epistle to the Romans. And he found something. He found that he loved God. I know that sounds strange. But he loved him in a way he had not experienced before. The kind of implicit, explicit love that you would have for a parent that trust that you just know everything's going to be okay, that God is with you, that you are forgiven, that you are loved. He experienced that for the first time. He called it a strange warming of the heart. And from that moment, that's where we get the birth of the Methodist church. From him reaching this moment. I think of him a lot like this Ethiopian he was struggling. He wanted to be a part of the group. He wanted to worship God, to be understood. But he couldn't. He was the outsider. He was the one who just thought differently, who acted differently. But God put people in his path. God put people in his path on that ship put people in his path back in England, put people in his path in his books. And I would argue even put his brother in his own path because Charles was a major part of this story. God got him where he needed to go. I think we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we get so hung up on figuring out how we're going to get somewhere that we forget that we're not doing it alone. We didn't break past the barriers in the temple simply on our own free will. That was through an act of God, through Jesus. None of us got to know Christ completely on our own. We got to know Christ because we had family members or friends who walked that path with us. The Ethiopian got to where his faith was. He got what he needed, what he was searching for, because God helped him on that journey. There were no longer the barriers. 
except for the barriers we put in front of ourselves, those things that keep us from fully embracing God, which so often seems to be, well, us, our egos, our pride. I know I would not be where I am today if not for all those Phillips in my life who explained things to me and got me to understand God just a little bit better. I hope we all get to be a Philip to somebody. But I hope we also get to listen to the Philips in our lives. Sometimes my Philips are my old colleagues, professors, and friends. Sometimes it's Lauren. And a surprising number of times, it's Gracie. Something about little kids, they break through that barrier so easily. So, when you go out today, open your eyes. You may have a Philip right next to you who's ready to help you work through that issue. God didn't leave you alone. God sent help. Just unexpectedly. Thank you. You'll pray with me. Lord God, as we go out into this world, open our eyes and our ears to those around us that we will receive the guidance you've tried to send us through this world. And that perhaps sometimes we get to be the guidance for others. Amen.